0: So we've identified a problem, which I've <clears throat> expressed this way, that the vast majority of people who would self-identify as Christians would say that they don't pray the way that they should. If you took a survey of the vast majority of those who get up on a Sunday morning and go out to church and to say, is there anything that needs To change in your prayer life, almost everybody would say absolutely, right? You know, and I'm in the same category. When we think about what God longs to do, what God can do, how he challenges us to be people of prayer, what we recognize right out of the bat is that we do not pray the way that we should. And so we're trying to solve that problem, and we've been using a framework You didn't know it, but I knew it. We've been using a framework and trying to answer that question because we're really not trying just to focus on practice. We're not just trying to focus on how we pray because often what that means is we land up just taking another conference notebook and we land up sticking it on the shelf after a couple of weeks, right? Because we, we need to have an internal culture. We need to have a spiritual life that causes us to be people who pray the way that we should. So, the framework we've been looking at is is how why is it that Jesus prayed and with that how does that teach us about our own prayer lives and so as we've gone if you know you can't point to a a scripture or verse, chapter and verse kind of thing, say, you know, turn to, you know, Hezekiah chapter 3, verse 15. There is no book of Hezekiah, right? So, you know, that's... Pastorally, I used it a lot with my kids, right? You know, well, why can't I do that? Because Hezekiah 5, 9 says, you know, you can get a lot of mileage out of Hezekiah chapter 5. So make sure you write that down. But, you know, you can't turn to chapter and verse and say, this is why Jesus prayed. But we can pull out some themes theologically and have really good confidence in why Jesus was drawn to pray. Because, right, Jesus was God, right? It's kind of like talking to yourself, you know? And I don't think Jesus needed a therapist, you know, because so, he was talking to himself too much. So there were reasons why Jesus prayed. And <clears throat> one of those is he, he was setting an example for us. And so next week, we're going to actually look at the model prayer that he taught us. And we're going to look at a version of it from the Gospel of Matthew because it gives us just a little bit more material to work with than the version of it that you see in Luke's Gospel, the 11th chapter. Last week, we looked at the fact that one of the reasons why Jesus prayed is because he just loved talking to the Father. You know, for, for, for all of eternity, the Father and the Son had had absolutely perfect, communication. I wonder what it would be like in my marriage if we had 100% perfect communication, you know, and how much better of a father I would have been and how much, you know, what difference it would have made in my children's lives if we had had 100% perfect communication, right? But Jesus, for all of eternity, his thoughts were the thoughts of God, the, the thoughts of the father were his thoughts. It was absolutely perfect. When he came down to the planet, he missed that. And he just loved talking to God. You know, and and so we use the verse, you know, that that Jesus just loved to be in. You know in in his father 's house, right when he was twelve years old, stayed behind in Jerusalem, et cetera, his parents were looking for him. Well, you should have known this is where I would have been because I have to be in my he just he just loved it right, and we use the illustration of like a, a long, young child the way they just love to debrief their experiences with their children right you know it, it made me think again this week of you know Christina and I had the privilege this week of hosting a family up at the our family place in New Hampshire. And we took, and they had a young boy, and, and we took him tubing. So it was the very first time he'd ever been tubing. And, and if you've never taken a young child tubing before, this is how it goes, right? They're all excited to go tubing, and then you get out there in the boat, a hundred more yards offshore, and there's waves going on, and you put the tube in the water, and then they start crying. Oh, you know, and so then, because the water's cold, mom gets in the tube, and then the kid goes, right? And dad stays in the boat, right? Because mom goes in, you know, and, and even then, when you put the kid in, you know, the kid's still crying, oh, I don't want to do this, whatever, and the, and the you know, dad's saying to me, he says, you know, he'll be fine just a minute, just get started, you know? So out the tube floats, and away we go, and, and then sure enough, a few minutes into it, the tears turn to a smile, and they're having fun, and all that kind of stuff, and so what's phenomenal to me is when, when we, we have to wrap up the ride and we pull the kid back in, even though dad's been sitting in the boat, the, the kid's saying, dad, did you see when I was going faster, faster, faster? Did you see when we're going? He just loves the deep reef, right, with his, with his parents. And, and that's exactly the way Jesus was. And so we looked at last week ways in which you and I can cultivate a passion about talking to God. And what it really means is that you and I have to prioritize. We just have to have this inner drive, this inner thirst, this insatiable appetite for God to do the things that only God can do. And that's going to be people that drive us to really want to talk to God. But today I want to look at the last reason. One of the reasons why Jesus prayed is that because in the event of the incarnation, when the Son of God became fully man so that God was wed with man and we have the person of Jesus Christ who's fully God and fully man. What There was something in that transaction which limited or changed or introduced the elements of humanity into Christ's life. And with that, he needed to pray just like you and I need to pray. You know, Steve read a passage of scripture before that led us into the song we just sang. And you know, it says that Jesus Christ was tempted in every single way like we were tempted. And that's an expression of his humanity. And because he was tempted, he resorted to prayer. And I want to show you that today. I want to convince you from the scriptures that the reason why Jesus prayed like he did. I mean, we, we see Jesus praying all the time. He's praying by himself. He's praying with his inner circle. He's praying with all the disciples. He's praying in the masses. He's praying in the morning. He's praying all night. You know, he's praying for miracles. He's giving thanks to God. He's blessing food. God, he, Jesus is always praying, right? And part of what drove him to pray was that he was so committed to his life purpose of doing God's will, that he couldn't help but pray. Now, let that sink in for just a little minute. And so the, my sermon title for today is Purpose in Prayer. And and my premise for us, and I want to try to prove this from the Scriptures, prove this to myself as well as prove it to you, is that the, the only way you and I are going to be in one of those places where you say, you know, I... I I pray the way I'm supposed to. I can always sense that God is with me. I can, I can sense where God, where, how God is leading me. The, the way we're going to get to that place is when our prayer life is a derivative. It flows out of the fact that we have a life-consuming passion to do God's will. You know, Jesus came down, and in John chapter 6... And let me read this for you, John chapter six. It's going to come up on the screen. If you want to use what your Bible, it'd be great to follow along. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures today, and you can write these down on the back side of your handout today. We always give you a place to to take notes. But in page nine hundred six, if you're using one of the Bibles that's underneath your chairs, you know Jesus is 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 in this interaction with those around him, and and he's and he and he's explaining, you know, what's going on. And, and in verse thirty eight. 38, he put it this way, he says, says, I've come down from heaven, that's the incarnation, right? He's gone from being fully God and only God, to now he's fully God and fully man. He says, I've come down from heaven, and I didn't come down to do my will, I came down to do the will of him who sent me. And because of that, because I'm tempted and tested in every way as man is, I pray all the time. Because I don't want to miss out on my purpose. I don't want to come up short. So let me build this out for us, right? So let's look at some things that Jesus said was his purpose in life, his mission, right? And then let's look at what Jesus did as a part of that, right? See, again, it comes down to, you and I will not pray the way we should until we want the things that can only come by prayer in our lives. And so we're looking at that wanting side, and part of that has to be that our, loving, uh, that our passion in life is, is to do the will of God. And, and we'll, so let's look at a few things. I think I've said that a few times, right? You guys getting the idea yet? <laughs> All right. All right. How come I went from page one to page five? Here we go. Here's page two. What Jesus said right so we've already started out with the fact that he's come down to do God's will what he said about his life he said i didn't come down to do my will i didn't come down to 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 set up my kingdom i came down to do the will of the father that's what he said that was his life mission we just read it. it's in it, and i so we we didn't come up here but i have the words in red right because there's it's not, it's, it's he came down, and his sole objective was to fulfill the plan for which God had sent him. He wanted to do God's will. Here's another thing that Jesus said. From Matthew chapter 5, if you want to follow along, that'd be great. Matthew chapter 5, this is embedded in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. I think sometimes we, we jump right by it. But... He is so looking at... God's guidance about how to do life with him. He's looking at the law in such a different way. Lots of different people are saying to him, you don't believe the law. You're a lawbreaker and et cetera. And he has all these conflicts with the rabbis and others because he's healing people on the Sabbath and et cetera. And their man-made understanding of what it meant to keep the Sabbath meant that he was sinning and that kind of stuff. And Jesus says very clearly in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, listen, I didn't come down to abolish the law and the prophets. I came down to fulfill the law and the prophets. I came down to fulfill all standards of righteousness. He came down to do life like life was supposed to be lived so that you actually were worthy to go to heaven, and with that, he could become the substitute for us. Jesus came down, and by his own voice, by his own admission, he says, I'm, here. I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm not here to push it aside. I'm here to live it out the way it's supposed to be lived out, all right? Last thing, several different places where Jesus talks about this. He, he, he clearly says in a number of places that he has come down to seek and to save that which is lost. He's come down to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is Entrance into the into the world wasn't was to come and to offer himself up as the Passover Lamb, like we just studied in the book of of Exodus, for him to be the scapegoat that all of the sin is loaded onto him and and and, it's, and the and the goat is sent out of the camp like the sin is removed. Jesus has come to play that role. And in many places in the scriptures, he talks about that role. I've quoted you here from Luke chapter 19, the 10th verse, you know, where he says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And in Matthew 20, where I, ate, where it says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So this is by Jesus' own said, you can hold me accountable for this. I've come to do God's will, right? I've come to do God's will. I've come to keep the law the way it's supposed to be kept, and I've come to give my life in your place. Now, I want you to see, as Jesus lives these things out, prayer plays an incredible role in that journey, and and because it's not the agenda of the scriptures, if you will, to tell us You know, this perspective, but it just kind of oozes out from the scriptures to us that because Jesus was here and he was man, he was tempted to go in a different direction, but because he was so committed to doing God's will, he was so committed to keeping the law, to being righteous in God's eyes, he was so committed to giving his life for you and I, he could not help but pray because of his life purpose. Let me give you a few examples. First of all, let's look in the idea of seeking God's will. And and I I, I took the early fruit, just the easy fruit off the bottom of the tree, right? You know, when you go out apple picking, you know, I, I always used to like to get the big picker and try to go up high, right? But most of the time you just grab the low stuff. Clearly, when Jesus was facing the 40 days of temptation, prayer played a huge part. You know, you, you, you see accounts of this in Matthew and Luke and et cetera. And it says the scripture, the scripture says the spirit had to drive him into the wilderness. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to be tempted. But he, he goes out and it says, and he fasted. And fasting and prayer always go hand in hand. He fasted for 40 days. Now, the outcome had left him hungry, right? But because he'd been prayed up when, the, when Satan challenged him to turn some rocks into bread, Jesus was ready for the temptation, right? But, but even a better example, and I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles with me. Turn to John chapter 6. And, and John chapter 6. You can tell I'm all excited, so maybe I had too much caffeine this morning, so here we go. John chapter 6 is a context of one of the feedings of the masses, right? They're all gathered together, they're hungry, you know they don't. They don't have enough money to buy food. It's getting late in the day. Jesus cares about people. They're they're famished. Most of them were not living on excess body fat like me. You know they they when they when they went hungry, it really impacted them, right? And so he has compassion upon them, and he and he has them sit down and he feeds them. And there's just heaps of food left over, right? And so that and we pick up in, in in this in John chapter six and this is page nine oh five in your Bibles, it says with the fourteenth verse. So when the people saw the signs that he had done, they said, this really is a prophet who has come down into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, let's get to what's going on here. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many, right? To die the people are so caught up in what Jesus is doing. And, 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 and what they provide to him is this avenue to go about it a whole lot. There. Let's just make him king. And what's Jesus' response and if you have to pick this up from the Gospel of Matthew and other places, his response to that, he doesn't want to go in a direction that God doesn't want him to do. He's not here to be king, right? As great as that might be, all the good in the world that he could do, he's not here to be king. He's here to be the offering for our sin, right? And so he sends the people away, and he climbs to the top of the mountain, and he prays because he's tempted. He, he came to do God's will and God's will was not for him to be king. It was tempting. How many of you, if somebody offered you to be king? You know, right? I mean, it's like, it's you know, how many of you have ever turned down a promotion with more money just because, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to do that, you know? I mean, you know, we, this is advancement. You know, look good in the resume. And, and Jesus is tempted. He's like you and I. It'd be cool to be. Look at all the good I could do. Now, tell me, how many of you have not, Ever dreamed that if you won the lottery, you think, "Oh, think of all the good I could do in the world!" Right? You know, I could set up this trust fund, and I could bless this, and bless that, and bless you know. And they, same kind of ideas running through you. Jesus, no, 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 no. That's not how God wants me to go. And he sends the people away, and he gets back up on the top of the mountain, and he talks to God to get things calibrated. Right? His commitment to doing God's will drove him to pray. Right? Let's follow along. Another, another setting. We've just read that Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Not to, not to, 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 to make righteousness obsolete, but to actually live a life that's right in God's eyes. And, and we have this interesting experience at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. And if you turn with me over to Matthew chapter 3. Verses 14 and 15. John the Baptist is still alive. He's playing this role of Elijah as the forerunner and preparing the way for the Messiah to come. And he's baptizing people as a symbol of their need for repentance and restoration so they can enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes out to him to be baptized. And John looks at him and says, no, 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 this is all backwards. You should be baptizing me. I, should, I shouldn't be baptizing you, right? And listen, listen to the exchange that goes on. So then Jesus came up from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized to you, by you, and you come to me. And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answers, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Right? This is the way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him to be baptized. Now, again, if you look at another account coming out of Luke's gospel, he doesn't include this exchange between Jesus and John the Baptist, but he does tell us that when Jesus was baptized, he prayed and then the dove came down out of heaven, and the voice of God's prayer, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, right? And, and so this baptism event is, is just, it's just infused with the spirit of prayer. Jesus undergoes something that he doesn't need to go through. He's, he's modeling for us the need for humanity to repent, and he does so because it is a part of fulfilling the righteousness of God, and prayer is a part of what makes it happen. Jesus' purpose, his life mission, what his life was about, his objective, made it where he could not help but pray. Because he's like you and I, full human. One last, and and this is, again, one of the ones we look at the most, right? You know, Jesus said, hey, I've come to, to give my life as a ransom for many. But when the moment comes, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's staring down both barrels of all the human suffering he's going to go through. And when he's staring down both barrels of experiencing sin for the very first time in his life, something that's going to be incredibly excruciating, painful, and disgusting to him, he's praying. And, and he says, you know, Father, if, if this cup can pass, that'd be great. But I don't want it to be my will. I want it to be your will. In that moment, when Jesus came to fulfill, he, he, he reached the pinnacle, the moment of all truth, where he came to actually complete that what his mission was, to give his life as a ransom for many, stepping through that door and making it happen. Prayer prayed in a, played an incredible place in it. And, the re, and, and so this all just draws a bit hammering away on this for us because you you and I need to understand that The reason why Jesus talked to God the way he did is because he purposed in his heart to do God's will. You can can know everything about prayer, all the how-tos about prayer, but if you and I have not really purposed in our hearts to God's will, we're never gonna change our answer to that question of do I pray the way I ought to? We're just not going to. You know We're not going to sense the need to. We're not going to have the drive to. We're not going to have the initiative to. We're not going to have the inclination to. Because, because what that flows out of the fact that I don't want to do life my way. I want to do life God's way. And until that is a, is, a, is a burning passion in my heart, until that is a burning passion in your heart, you and I are just going to play a prayer. We're not going to really pray the way we should. Jesus prayed the way he did. He talked to God the way he did. Not only because he loved to do it, but because he had purposed in his heart to do God's will. And in his humanity, that meant he couldn't help but pray all the time. I want you to see this at work in the life of ordinary believers like you and I. And and, and I'll move through this pretty quickly. You know, next week, we're going to take a look at the model prayer. And and. And embedded in the model prayer, at least in Matthew's version, is this phrasing of, Thy kingdom come, thy will, right? Circle will, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, in case you need to, you can elbow the person next to you and say, Guess what? We're actually on earth, right? So our prayer is, Lord, do your will, let your will be done. Where I live, in the seat that I sit in, the bed that I sleep in, from the bowl of cereal that I eat out of, let your will be done as it is in heaven. So embedded in the way we are to pray is the desire, the purpose, the passion for God's will to be done the same way. You know, it's fascinating the way this works out in the life of the early church, and and, and there's several places where we can look and let me make sure I get them in the order that we, we, we have it come up. You know, Paul wrote on several different occasions to the church of Thessalonica and then also to the church of Ephesus. Let me just read these off to you. These are, again, uh, from First from, um, Thessalonians 5, 16 and 19. And these are just little bullets in your, in your scriptures. You read them, says, you know, Jesus said, rejoice always, pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. With that, don't stifle, don't quench the spirit, right? You know? And then he goes on again a little later in, 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 um, In the book of Ephesians, and he's writing to this this church that he spent all this time to, and he cares about deeply, and, and he knows on his way back to Jerusalem for the last time that if he stops there, he may never leave, so he avoids it. He's got such a connection to them. And he says to them, you know, pray at all times in the spirit. With every prayer and every request, stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And he says, and pray for me. Pray for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador. This is God's will for me, and I need to do this, and I need you to pray for me to have this happen. Pray that I may be bold enough to speak as you should. And, And we could debrief all of that in lots of different ways, but I just want you to see this intimate, inseparable connection between prayer and doing the will of God right? Rejoice always, pray at all times, give thanks in everything, because this is God's will for you, right? You know, and, and Paul's challenging Ephesians, pray, persevere in prayer, stay alert, you know, so you'll be faithful, and pray for me that I'm faithful, because that's what it takes in order to be faithful, and this is why God's made me an ambassador. Purpose and prayer are just glued together, and when you and I separate them, prayer dies on the vine. Got that? One more example, and I, I want to connect over. And I'm, I'm just going to give you the references from Acts chapter 4, and you can go back and read these. But but there was a time after Jesus' resurrection, after the church had been endowed with the Holy Spirit, and they began to fulfill their role as being witnesses, that the world around them wasn't too excited about it, in particular the, the, the religious authorities. So Peter, after his first day of standing up and proclaiming the message and healing a lame guy... They get, they get hauled in before the authorities. And they say, what, what are you doing? You guys aren't, you, know, you don't have the right paperwork to be teaching in the temple, right? You know, who are you guys? And, you know, say, hey, listen, you know, if, you're guy, if we're here because we healed a guy, then I don't know what to say. And then they, and then they threaten them. They say, you know what? We, we understand that they've been with we, there's a miracle. But you know what? Don't ever do it again. And what what John and Peter say back to them, you know what? We, can't, we just can't help but talking about what we've seen and heard. And when they get a little later, just a few verses later, they get back to the other believers, they share the word, and the scripture says, and they lifted up their voices. They prayed together with one accord. A little later, after the next go-round, the religious authorities up the anter a little bit. They actually beat them. And when they leave, they rejoice and, and, and they say, you know what, we, we, we have to obey God rather than men. And it says, and they got together and they prayed for boldness, for boldness. They say, we, we know what our purpose is, is to be witnesses. So we're not praying for protection, we're praying for boldness. Right, their purpose drove their prayer, and they they went as one voice in one accord, praying to God. And they 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 reach out to God in prayer. Their purpose, their life purpose, their mission, their goal, drove the fact that they prayed. You know, it's interesting. Some of you know I I have a contact for, with some who serve in China, and things for the Christian church in China are actually getting a lot harder these days. Um, the the it is, not, it is not unusual now for a group of 20 policemen to show up at the home of a Chinese Christian, force their way in, force them to unlock their computers, unlock their phones, etc., give them access to everything they see. And out of that, they can lose position, they can lose their jobs, and etc., and they can actually be forced or mandated to say, to, to basically renounce their Christianity in all the places where it conflicts with Chinese philosophy, the way they want to do the world. And, and our first instinct, right, is to what? Is to pray for protection. You know, and, 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 and we've been getting prayer requests, right? But the early church's instincts weren't to pray for protection. It was to pray for boldness, right? See, that, that, I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for protection. That's not what I'm saying, right? What I am saying is that you and I are never going to be the people who say, boy, my prayer life is incredibly satisfying to me, unless it's driven out of a sense of purpose of doing God's will. And so here's my concluding thought. When you and I, when our our prayer life primarily stems from a consumer mentality, God, this is what I need you to do for me. God, I don't have a job. I need you to give me a job. God, I'm sick. I need you to make me healthy. God, I have children. Will you keep them safe? You know, my parents, If, if I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for those things, but if that's what is the basis, the core of why you pray, you're never going to pray like Jesus. I'm never going to pray like Jesus like that. If it's based on consumption, God, this is what I, I need you to do for me, right? We're, we're always going to have an inadequate prayer life. But it's only when you and I are consumed with doing the will of God that we're going to actually pray the way we're supposed to. So the question that really hits us today, if we want to have this 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 fulfilling, satisfying, rich prayer life where we know that God's involved in our lives and we can see his activity and we sense his presence and we have a sense of peace and we can feel his leadership. If we want all of that to kind of roll in because we are in constant communication with God, it's not going to come because we are consumers. It's going to come because we're consumed. So the issue is, are we, consumers, Or are we consumed? And that's the decision. The question that we have to answer for ourselves today. And that's what I believe God invites us to do. Jesus was fully human. Tested, tempted in every way. Therefore, to fulfill his purpose of doing God's will. right, Of fulfilling the law. Of giving his life as a ransom for many. He had to pray. If you and I... As humans who are gifted with the Holy Spirit because of our faith in Jesus Christ and the redemption we have, we are children of God. If we really want to live a life that's God's will, we've got to pray. Are we consumed or just consumers? Let's pray together for just a minute.